0: Thank you, man. I, I love working with these guys. Uh, that was that was amazing. That was just amazing. What a great night of worship! I love this night. I love working with uh, with Carol. And um, I guess wow, like eleven. How many years? 11, how many years now have we? Eleven and a half years together. I've been here like twelve and some change, and. She, 11, and this is just a, a great night. She was asking me, because I'm teaching through the Bible on Sunday night. She was asking me, so what, what book have we come to? And I, you know, I don't know what gets into me. And I said, Song of Solomon. And she said, no, that's not good. And I said, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's Proverbs. It's Proverbs. And uh, I don't know why I treat my staff that way. It's amazing, because they're so kind to me. And they're so nice to me. And I do mean things. I just confess that tonight. I was thinking this week about who the smartest person is in the world is today. You know, the Bible talks about how Solomon was more wise in his day than anybody else who ever lived. And I was thinking, who's that person today? Who's the smartest person in our world today? So I did a little bit of research, and I found that Marilyn Vos Savant, you know, the one who writes the little, uh, the little column for Parade Magazine, she had a measured IQ of 228. That is a very high IQ. But I have a good friend in our church, one of our, our boys uh, who is Brett Vinzant. And he told me the story years ago of um, four people who were taking a trip in a small plane. And along with the pilot, there was a pastor and there was a boy scout and there was a professor on board. And the pilot came back in the middle of the flight. They knew something was wrong. It was kind of rough weather. And he said, look, I have bad news. We're going to crash. We've lost engine power. We're going to crash. He said, the worst news is there are four of us and there's only, three, there's only three parachutes. And I just have to tell you, I'm a pilot and I'm very important. People need me. And so I'm taking one of the parachutes. He took it and jumped out of the plane. So the other three are standing there with their with their two parachutes left, and the professor stands up and says, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm the smartest man in the world. And as the smartest man in the world, I you know, I deserve a parachute. The world needs me. I'm taking a parachute. He grabbed a pack, jumped out of the plane. Finally, the pastor says to the boy, you know what? I've lived a good life. I know where I'm going. You're young. You have your whole life ahead of you. You take the parachute. And the boy said, relax, Reverend. The smartest man in the world just picked up my backpack and jumped out of the plane. So maybe he wasn't the smartest man in the world. So who is? Well, in the Old Testament, Solomon was the wisest man in the world. And 1 Kings chapter 3 tells us, God said to him, you can have anything. You can have anything in the world you want. He said, what do you want more than anything? And he said, I want wisdom. And God answered his prayer. And the book of Proverbs is a a part of that. So let me just read a few verses to you tonight and think with you about the book of Proverbs Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Would you stand with me as we read God's word about getting wisdom? It seems like almost everybody I know wants to know, so how do I know the right thing to do? How do I know the will of God? It's a matter of great uh, discussion, whether it's about little things and big things. Listen to what Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel... For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Would you pray with me, Father? In these few moments we have together, I pray that you would teach us something about wisdom. Not just, Lord, that we would understand what wisdom is better, but, Lord, I'm going to ask something bigger than that. I'm going to ask that you make us wise. That you make grandparents and parents and friends and relatives in this room wise. But I pray for these children, God, that they will know the wisdom that is greater than any knowledge in this world. And I ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When we think about Solomon's life, we think about two things uh, we think about worship and we think about wisdom. Because it was Solomon who built the temple, which became the center of worship. And really, Solomon lived in the time of the pinnacle, the height of worship. The people were were practicing the sacrificial system, the way that God designed for it to be. And at the same time, there was this uh, wisdom in Solomon's life. God gave him what he asked for, and he records it here. And the thing about Solomon is, you need to know, he he had a thousand wives. And with a thousand wives, actually 700 wives and 300 concubines to be more specific, um, he had lots of kids. And as these kids came up, he wanted them to have wisdom as well. And so he wrote these words so that his children and their children and the generations that follow, coming right down to our children, would have access to some of the greatest wisdom in the world, the wisdom that actually comes from God. And the key to wisdom, as Solomon describes it here, is relationship with God. I mean, Solomon knew about everything. He knew about nature. He knew about the stars. He knew about so many. He wrote so many songs. He did lots of things. But the great thing about Solomon was he knew the Lord. So when he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge here in verse seven, later in chapter nine, verse 10, when he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the first nine chapters, what he's saying in a sort of manual to his kids is I want you to get wisdom at all costs. It is, as we heard in this song, wisdom is a, is like a woman who calls you and gives you what you need. And so pursue wisdom, he says, and seek wisdom and the wisdom you need, he says, you can just write this down. The wisdom we need flows from the fountain of relationship with God. And if you could want something for your kids, because I mean, I've got kids, one of them read earlier tonight, I've got two boys and a daughter now. And I just tell you, when I think about what I want for them, my ambitions for them over the years have changed somewhat, because there was a time when um, my goal for them was, you know what, I want them to um, make the highest grades and get the highest SAT and get into the best universities. And I just want them, you know, to do all of this. And I can really simplify what I want for my kids these days. I want them, to know the lord because if they know the lord he will take care of every other need in their lives but if they don't know the lord and they accomplish every academic and every athletic goal even beyond what we could imagine for them and they do not know the lord their lives will be a great loss the bible says what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and they lose their souls so what i want to say to you tonight is here's what you don't have to worry about parents You don't have to worry about your kids being so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. Don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. It is impossible to be too heavenly-minded. The scriptures say in Colossians, set your minds on things above. Think about heavenly things. C.S. Lewis said, the more we think about God, the better things down here go. But if we focus on things down here, we will miss him, and we will miss the things down here as well. My word to you is don't worry about your kids being too heavenly-minded so that they're no earthly good. Here's what you worry about. Worry that they're so earthly-minded that they're no heavenly good. And how do we instill in our kids a knowledge for God? Well, just notice in Solomon, there's a great deal of wisdom here, and he talks to us about the sort of ordering of life. And very simply, if I could just put it simply, he says, you have to have God first the fear of the Lord, relationship with God, reverence for God, not a, not a trembling kind of fear like God is out to get me, but a a genuine respect for the things of God, a reverence for his sovereignty, for his authority in our lives. So we start with God. And then he talks about family. And after he talks about family, he talks about friendships and after he talks about friendships, he talks about work and he shows us all of these important areas of our lives and says, God has something to do with all of these. That is, if we could get the relationship with God right, it would change the way we relate to our families. It would change the way we relate to our friends. It would change the way that we relate to our work and all the things that we do in this world. So let me just take a moment to urge parents and children to live for the Lord. Children, these Bibles that we have given you will introduce you to the Lord. I don't want you to worship that Bible, but I want you to worship the God who is revealed in that Bible. And the scriptures teach us to live with reverence for the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Listen to chapter four, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Our heart is where we relate to God, where we get to know God. It's where we make a decision to follow him. I was thinking about Camp Eagle where uh, Jerome and Rebecca and Micah take our students every year. It's a beautiful place. It's this canyon and there are these springs of water there. And it's the headwaters of the Nuasis River. So wherever the Nuasis River flows in our state, I suppose it flows ultimately into the Gulf. It starts right there in that canyon, right there in that beautiful place where eagles fly and reflect on the water below. And it is the sort of headwater and what Solomon says to us is the headwaters of wisdom flow from relationship with God to be right with him means that we will have the wisdom we will have the understanding we will have the knowledge that we need so chapter 21 verse 20 says where there is says there is no wisdom there is no insight or no plan that can can succeed against the Lord and it occurred to me it's possible to be very smart To have the highest SAT in your school or in the state. To have the highest ACT, the highest PSAT, and still to be a fool. Because in the last decade, atheism has enjoyed a a tremendous resurgence of interest with Dawkins and Hitchens among the leaders. And what you can not say about these guys is that they're not smart. Because they're very smart. Some of the smartest people in the world do not believe in God. But it's better to be wise than to just be Smart. Peter Williams, who taught our, our, Sunday night, uh, our Saturday night Sunday school recently, spoke about a man who teaches at, at Sanford University in Birmingham. His name is Gerald Bray. And he said, he is the smartest man I've ever met. Now, you need to know about Peter Williams. He teaches at Cambridge University in England. So when he says, this is the smartest man I've ever met, I said, okay, tell me about him. He teaches at Sanford at Birmingham uh, in, in Alabama. And I said, so what makes him the smartest man? He said, he can speak, like do public speech in seven different languages. He is completely articulate in seven different languages. And, you know, that's an amazing thing. I never knew that Gerald Bray was that smart. But I remember staying at his apartment one time when he was out of town. And they allowed me and James Tippett to stay at his apartment. And I remember opening up the cupboard one morning looking for a cup for some tea. You know, I was in England. I had to drink tea, right? And so I'm opening up this cupboard and I look. And he's got this little quote there from David Lyle Jeffrey. And the quote simply tells the story of a woman in England who wakes up in the morning and bows on her knees before the hearth and praise. And how God takes that one prayer of that one woman and weaves it like a golden thread into the tapestry and brings revival in the country of England. And it all starts with one woman who prays. And I thought about that when he said that about Gerald Bray. And I thought he's not only smart, but he's also very wise In wisdom. We also focus on God's plan for our family. So the scriptures teach that we're to live faithfully with our wives. And he's going to emphasize that again and again, live faithfully with our husbands in the early chapters, but particularly in Proverbs chapter five, it says, be careful not to get caught in adultery because adultery will lead you to death. And in chapter five, verses 15 to 20, it's a little bit like song of Solomon when he says we are to rejoice in the spouses of our youth. You know, first Peter chapter three says, if I mistreat Melanie, God will not hear my prayers. God will not hear my prayers. If I'm not right in relationship with her, that interrupts the flow of my relationship with God. So my word to you tonight is, parents, to stay close to your wife. Stay close to your husband. Do not willingly lead astray. And the best thing I can do for my kids today is to love, is to love their mom. And I take God's word over my feelings on the scriptures also teach us here to lovingly discipline our kids in proverbs 19 verse 18 it says discipline your son for in that there is hope do not be a willing party to his death and i was just thinking how strongly my dad believed in that you know had spare the rod spoil the child i mean i grew up in the era how about you i grew up in the era where there was no such thing as timeouts my parents never said hey go to the corner and think about that for a while if you've grown up in that age you have grown up in, a, in, a, in an age of great favor where you were spared a great deal. Just take my word for it. I mean, my dad, he believed in, in not sparing the rod so that he didn't spoil the child. And I would just say about that. The scriptures teach that we're to discipline our kids, that we are to discipline. them. And if we discipline them, we are loving them. And if we don't love our kids, that's that, a way of showing that we don't love them is by refusing to discipline them. On the other hand, I was sitting in a a waiting room this week with my father-in-law who's a great and godly man who's given a great heritage of godliness to my wife and to my sons and my daughter and uh, to uh, Melanie's brother and their kids as well just generations of blessing and I'm sitting there waiting for him and he's in surgery and I overhear this conversation between two ladies here in this waiting room and the one has got three kids with her and the one little boy has just spilled his skittles all over the floor and his dad walks up and he's so angry and this dad has just got a lot of anger and I remember he just kind of with his own hand in his fist he's went I would just I would just knock you in the head for that he says this little boy and the mother begins to say the little boy you know don't spill your skittles and this woman across the room says they won't even let us spank our kids anymore but I've got a friend who works for CPS and says you can spank them as long as you don't leave a mark the other mother said well everything leaves a mark these days and I'm just listening to all this can I just say abuse is never okay (laughs) it's never that's not what this teaches But what it does teach is that we are to love our kids so much that sometimes we say no to them. That we don't idolize our kids and put them up on such a pedestal that... I have a friend who, who, um, I mentioned him this morning, who disciples me uh, every Wednesday morning when we pray together, and he mentors me, and he says, overindulging your kids is a form of abuse. If you give them everything they ever want, every time they ever ask, that in its own right is a form of abuse of abuse. In fact, we have to sometimes say no to our kids and as we point them to the Lord, we want to discipline them in a loving way. Not, listen, God's discipline in our lives. By the way, we talked about God's wrath last week. God's wrath is never poured out on his children. God's wrath is poured out against wickedness but when we become the children of God, it's not his wrath that's poured out on us but he does sometimes discipline us and so we endure hardship in our lives as discipline because God loves us too much sometimes to let us go our own way and so we lovingly discipline discipline our kids and we care for them in that way and again in chapter 29 verse 17 it says discipline your son and he will give you peace he will bring delight to your soul I, i wish that for you parents that you would exercise godly discipline. The scriptures also teach us to honor our parents. This is for our children and we find it there in verses eight and nine where it says, listen son to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. There'll be a garland to grace your head, a chain to adorn your neck. And the the culmination that I suppose is found in chapter 31, that famous passage where the, the godly mother is honored. Solomon also teaches us to hang with the right friends. It's in chapter one, verse 10, where it says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. And so a, a lot of scripture passages in Proverbs are about friendship, and they teach us that if our friends say, Come along with us and rush into sin, we do not go. And he says in chapter 2, verse 12, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. Parents, the kids your kids run with will have more influence on their behavior than your values. Now, I don't know how to break that to you gently. But just as one who has uh, raised uh, teenagers, I would just say to you the kids that your kids run with will have more influence on them than all the things that you teach them. So you have every right to monitor that and to care about who those other persons are who are influencing them. But while I'm saying that, can I just ask parents, with whom do you have friendship? Um, As Matt Chandler up in Dallas would ask, who is your crew? (laughs) Who's your crew? Is, is it more happy hour or is, it, or is it Christian fellowship because iron will sharpen iron and I wonder if you're running with believers or you're in a crowd of cynics and scoffers because whatever they believe will influence you and I don't mean by that that you're not to have any contact with unbelievers how else would unbelievers come to know Christ if we had no contact with them but I want to remind you of a friend who sticks closer than a brother and that friend is Jesus Christ and then it goes on to talk about work and he says in chapter 19 verse 15 laziness brings on deep sleep we're to work hard we're to work hard. The sluggard, listen to this in 2615. It's very picturesque. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he's too lazy even to bring the food to his mouth. There is a, a lot to be said about the sluggard, but it also says that we're to love God more than money. And remember um, the prayer of Jabez some years ago made, the, made this circuit and uh, was a very popular book and sold a lot of copies nobody's ever written a book about the prayer of augur someday i said i'm going to write a book about that listen to this in chapter 30 verses 7 8 right near the end of the book it says give me neither poverty nor riches god give me only my daily bread doesn't this sound like the lord's prayer otherwise i may have too much is it possible to have too much money Yeah, he said, because I might disown you and say, who is the Lord? I don't even need God. I've got so much money. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Notice, he's more concerned about the honor of God's name than he is about his own wealth. And I've heard sermons preached that leave the impression that God wants every one of us to be rich all the time. And I just think that would come as a great mystery to those great godly men and women through the years who have not experienced wealth but have experienced the wealth of God's mercy and have lived by grace in relationship with him. So we work for our bread and we're not lazy and we don't worship things. But listen to this. When God gives us resources, chapter 14, verse 21, chapter 14, verse 31 say, blessed is he who is kind to the needy. He, oh, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their, their makers. A balanced view of wealth says we are to care for the poor and the book of proverbs teaches that and i'm just saying to you there is enormous wisdom in this book for our lives and it offers practical help about practical things about relationship with spouse about relationships with kids and parents about about our friendships about wealth and i've told you before that my pastor when i was in high school invited the youth in our church to start on the first day of the month i think it was july but whenever it was it was one of those 31-day months and start and read Proverbs 1 on that day, and then read Proverbs 2 on the second, and by the end of that month, we would have read the book of Proverbs. And I just want to tell you tonight this particular book in the Old Testament has influenced my thinking about right and wrong as much as any book in the Old Testament. I've read it so many times that it's become a part of me. So when I read about unethical business dealings and people mistreating each other in the name of business, immediately what comes to mind is. The Proverbs that say we're not supposed to be unjust in the way that we handle business. It has influenced my ethics. It's influenced my relationships. The right way to treat um, my wife and the right way to pick friends. But here's what I want you to know about the book of Proverbs. Even though Solomon was incredibly wise. If you read in first Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 3 says he asked God for wisdom and God gives it. 1 Kings chapter 11. By the way, chapter 11 was really bad for the David and Solomon family. 2 Samuel 11, David and Bathsheba. 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon, however, loved many strange women. That's the King James Version. He had many, really, literally, foreign wives. And the very things that he warned his sons, don't let wealth capture your heart. Don't let... um, a a spouse, lead your heart away from God. And yet he failed at that very point. So it's a good thing to listen to the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, but I'll just be honest with you tonight and tell you, we need more wisdom than Solomon had to offer. We have to live with the wisdom of a savior. And so I had Chase uh, read Luke chapter two, verse 40 says, Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in wisdom. And when he grew up at the age of 12, he went to the temple and he had so much understanding that not only was he asking the religious leaders questions, but they were asking him questions. He knew the word of God. He had built it into his heart and into his life. And when he went to the temple, listen, listen, that, that temple was the temple that was built in the same place that Solomon's temple was built many years later, after it was destroyed, it was rebuilt by Herod. And there, as Jesus grew in wisdom, he asked and answered questions from the spiritual elite in Jerusalem. What I mean to tell you is Jesus perfected worship because he was the temple. He's where the presence of God was. If you wanted to know where God was, all you needed to do was look at Jesus. And it's still that way. But he also perfected wisdom. So later when a group of people wouldn't listen to him, Jesus said to them, you know, you will be condemned by the generations before because um, the queen of Sheba, came to Solomon because she was looking for wisdom. And listen to what he said in Luke 11, verse 31. One who is more wise than Solomon is with you now, and you are not seeking my wisdom. Whoever had better relationship with God than Jesus, who was the Son of God. It was perfect relationship. And that's why Paul would write to the church in Corinth and simply say to them, Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So if you're wondering tonight, how will I know how to do the right things? Well, listen to what the scriptures say. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, just ask God. He'll give you the wisdom you need. But it's even better than that. Because the spirit of God lives within us. If you want to know how you're going to know the right thing to do, how will your children someday when they're facing a really difficult temptation or a great challenge, how will they know the right thing to do? And the answer is, how will I know what to do? How do I know the will of God? The answer is Jesus. Because if I have right relationship with him, that becomes the headwaters. That becomes the fountain of truth in my life. And better than a book, even better than the great book we have given to your children, is the author of that book who wants to live in our hearts and lives. And parents, if we come to know God, we will have the wisdom we need. And we'll be able to share that wisdom with our children until they have Christ in their hearts, who becomes to us. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. He has become to us wisdom from God. That is holiness, righteousness, and redemption. This is wisdom in a word. Jesus Christ, who was wiser than Solomon, who fulfills all of these teachings, wiser than Solomon, is Jesus Christ. And more than any other kind of wisdom, I wish for you and for your families the wisdom that comes from knowing God through personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your amazing love and grace for your presence in this place. Thank you, Lord, that you give us everything we need. So if we ask for wisdom, Lord, you will show us what to do. But more than that, Lord, you live within us to guide us. I thank you for Jesus who perfected wisdom. And I pray for these children that worship will be an important part of their lives as they see that worship is important to their parents. And I pray, God, that you will make them wise, wise beyond their years with the wisdom that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.